Hello, friends, and welcome to this iteration of the podcast. In this episode, I sit down for a conversation with Mike Masick, community herbalist and educator who runs the Forager's Path School of Botanical Studies. We talk about Mike's journey into the world of herbs and his promotion of the concept of community herbalism. We also talk about the efficacy of herbal medicine and the best way to approach it to gain the most benefits in light of our cure and appeal society. We also discuss ways to begin using herbs at home and methods for getting out to identify and collect herbal medicine within 50 miles of one's home. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Wilderness and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Walleen. This podcast is an exploration of the ways that people can reconnect to the natural world through bushcraft, naturalist skills, and time spent immersed in the nature they find around and within them. We also discuss how this reconnection can increase our individual well-being and that of our communities and the earth. Thank you for joining me. I'm really glad you're here. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm really glad you're here as always, uh, continuing to join me for each and every episode, and I hope this brings some light into your life, uh, especially during this very dark time in our country. And on that note, I feel I would be remiss if I didn't mention something about these very real issues that are happening in this country right now, that being the United States. My goal with this podcast from the very beginning has really been to create connection, awareness, help raise the consciousness of any who come into contact with it. And of course, the focus of this podcast has been on the natural world and its ability to heal us as individuals and communities and of course the earth. Right now, unfortunately, our communities are in pain and disarray. There are so many issues in the world, but the one in front of our face right now is one that needs to be dealt with and done so from a place of consciousness. There is real racism in the world. There is real hate, division, real negativity, turmoil. And at this time, I hope that we can come together and remember the life of George Floyd, who for now has become the symbol of the many more lives that have been lost and hurt by the oppressions of a society that not only does not serve people of color, but maintains barriers and oppressions against them. And hopefully we can all take this moment in time as an opportunity to look within ourselves, to reflect on our contributions to systems of oppression and all their myriad forms and then work to dismantle those systems of oppression. And in their place, hopefully we can build systems that serve all people. May we be able to raise our consciousness individually so that we can be the change makers we want to see in the world so that we can help raise the collective consciousness and hopefully become vehicles for a better, more just world that recognizes the intrinsic value and beauty of all human beings, regardless of color, uh, regardless of creed or sexual orientation, gender identification, and yes, even political persuasion, and all other forms of illusory duality 
and division that society has falsely taught us to hold dear. Uh, This is an opportunity for us to uh, look within, to find the universality of beauty and truth and love that resides in all other human beings as well as ourselves and indeed in all things. For we are but an extension of that universal source energy, which is love. And so with that, uh, you know, I know we're starting this episode on uh, a more somber note. And I'll be honest in saying that I hesitated to bring this issue up because it has been so divisive. And uh, because, of course, there's whenever uh, such a hot button issue such as this uh, has come up, you know, there's always the chance of receiving backlash for speaking up one way or the other about it. Uh, but I do feel it's my duty as someone who has been very privileged in life, uh, both in, you know, my color, of course, I'm, I'm white, I'm Caucasian, and I've had a lot of privilege because of that. And it's my duty to use this platform and my privilege to help create more justice and love and human, uh, you know, unity in the world. And so that's why I felt that I needed to speak up on this. And, uh, you know, if someone has an issue with that, then, uh, you know, they can take it up with themselves, uh, because it's not my issue. Uh, my, my issue is anytime there is division in this world, anytime there is hate and negativity and systems of oppression for anyone, no matter who they are, uh, right now, this happens to be the issue. And I've spoken, you know, very clearly about the issues that native Americans have faced in the past and, and other, uh, indigenous peoples who have suffered from colonialism and, and all that. And so, uh, that's why this platform is here. That's why this podcast is here is to create unity and love. And if someone is feeling angry about the words that I've said, um, you know, take a look within that, you know, what, what is it about this message that touches something so deep? What is it that you're identifying with? that, uh, that, that, that this has struck a chord with. Um, and, and I think all of us might have something to some degree or another. I know I do, you know, when I see things, I'm not, um, when I see things on, on the internet or on the news, uh, you know, sometimes they, they hit me to the core and they make me upset about something and make me want to defend myself for whatever reason. And, at those times, you know, that that's a, a cue to me to say, okay, well, wait, wait, let's take a step back here. What does this mean? What is it that I'm identifying with that this is, uh, you know, causing me this inner struggle? And uh, those are the times when we can really grow and find out who we are and where we're at in this life and in this world. So I would invite anyone who's having a hard time with that to take a look within. And of course, if anyone does want to engage in any dialogue with me um, on this issue or any others, I'm always happy to entertain conscious conversations that uh, help edify one another and, and, you know, pass information and understanding and create unity. That's what this is all about. That's what this platform is about, is creating that unity. So I welcome that. And uh, anyone can email me to ron at coyotespath.com. But I do want to move into uh, the episode itself and the interview that I had with my wonderful friend, Mike Masick, who's been a great mentor to me over the years. He's a herbalist out of Flagstaff, 
and he uh, runs a school called the Forager's Path School of Botanical Studies. And uh, yeah, we just had a wonderful conversation. Uh, Unfortunately, it's coming to you later than it should have. Uh, Shortly after I started this podcast, uh, probably in last, I want to say it was probably... I don't know, maybe late August or September of 2019, I actually had the the wonderful privilege to sit with Mike in his home and have an interview with him. And as a new podcaster, at least that's going to be my excuse. <laughs> I botched the audio on that interview and uh, didn't get to release that. I didn't want to represent Mike or the podcast in that way. So we uh, tentatively Uh, plan to get together at another point in time to have that interview and just with things going on we haven't been able to do that in person so we decided to just do it remotely like I've done with uh, most other episodes so uh, we got to kind of rehash that that first uh, discussion and hopefully this one is even more polished at least on my end than the first one so uh, but uh, yeah I did get to have a wonderful discussion with Mike about herbs and uh community herbalism and, and lots of other good things. So I hope that you're able to really enjoy this, uh, interview with Mike. So, um, I'll go ahead and introduce Mike. So Mike Masick holds a master's in education and is a community herbalist who began his training in the early nineties, first by devouring every herbal medicine book he could find, and then moving on to a more formal format of study. Uh, studying under Dr. Tirona Lodog for two years, which included much academic and clinical work. Ever a student and ever growing in his knowledge of the application of herbal and other natural remedies, Mike has dutifully continued his studies and his practice, which has included a two-year program studying Ayurveda, which is the ancient healing system of India, and numerous trips to Asia to study Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. At one point of time, at one point in time, spending two years apprenticed to a Chinese herbalist. Mike offers many educational opportunities, prepared herbal remedies, and healing services through his school, the Forager's Path School of Botanical Studies, which operates near Flagstaff, Arizona. In addition to his skills with herbs, Mike is an outdoor backpacking and hiking guide, a survival instructor, and overall a highly skilled practitioner and instructor of outdoor skills. So with that, I hope you really enjoy this discussion with Mike. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Mike. Really enjoy having you. You've been a great friend and uh, mentor for me over the years with herbs and whatnot, and um, really enjoy the work you do through your school, uh, the Forager's Path, and it's been real wonderful getting to learn from you and, and getting to know you. So thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing yourself with everyone else, with all the listeners. <laughs> Well, it's always a pleasure hanging out with you, Ron. So I'm glad we can connect. Awesome. So um, tell me and the listeners, what what got you started on this journey of herbal medicine and outdoor skills? Because obviously, aside from the herbal medicine part, uh, you're a very, very skilled outdoorsman with survival skills and you do a lot of guiding and the Grand Canyon and other places like that. So uh, you know, as a well-rounded outdoorsman with a focus on herbs, <laughs> uh, what got you started in all this? What What was the pull? What was the drive? Well, um, I think, you know, going back to my childhood, I always just loved the outdoors. And uh, it wasn't just, you can play sports in the outdoors, but I mean, 
fortunately, I grew up in a semi-rural area, and there were lots of woods and streams and open meadows, uh, walking distance from our house, and I could just spend my summer vacations out and about, playing in the water and mm. and uh, climbing trees, and I think that just uh, helped ground me uh, in that connection to nature. Um, and with herbs itself, it really started uh, back around 1990 when I just, it was uh, one of those light bulb over your head moments when I wanted to just be more responsible for my own health instead of depending on someone else to, you know, quote, make me healthy when I got sick. And so I started looking in more into diet and then the, the, the herbs and, um, it's been a journey ever since, and I've met lots of very uh, treasured and respected and helpful mentors along the way, and uh, it's really a, 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 a lifelong learning journey. Um, so uh, that's really you know where it comes from, and I I also think that herbal medicine there's different ways to practice herbal medicine. And for some people, they go to a health food store and buy a bottle of, of pills or tablets, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the way that I choose to do it is really trying to connect to nature. And that's why I really try to go out wherever I, I, I'm at or where I'm living. And it's about connecting to cycles and rhythms of nature and, and learning like which, which herbs or which foods that, that are most suitable certain time of day or certain season or certain weather and all that just helps connect me to nature. Um, and, and an, another point is that when you're out and doing these outdoor skills, the survival or the bushcraft or the herbs or the wild food foraging, I think it, what it does is it connects me to my immediate environment and I'm interacting with nature. And that is a really important point for me, rather than like people go to the Grand Canyon and they get out of their car and they look at the canyon. So it's just looking at the canyon. Right. They're not really interacting. Um, and the same way with backpacking, which I've done a lot over the years, I, it really struck me is with backpacking, you're moving through nature, but you have this, this, uh, this um, uh, protection of, Gore-Tex and fleece and nylon around you, mm. um, and so you don't really interact as far as touching. You're you know you're touching your pack or your tent or your sleeping bag rather than touching pine needles and bark and weeds and soil and, and right. those kind of things. So for me, it's about the interaction with nature as opposed to just looking at it or, or passing through. Mm. Yeah, that's a really great point, and it kind of brings something to mind for me. And I'm going to kind of pop this question on you unexpected. So, you know, take, take, do with it what you want, but, um, what does that look like for, as far as the leave no trace principles in that? Because I'm totally 100% with you, you know, we, we should be interacting with the environment and, uh, doing all those things. And, uh, personally, I think leave no trace has its merits, uh, and, in my mind, I feel it, it has a way of promoting a disconnection from the natural world to a certain degree. And, and that's not to say that leave no trace principles are not 
100% totally applicable in certain situations, such as corridor trails in the Grand Canyon. I mean, you got so many people going through this one spot. Obviously, people are not, you know, it's not going to be beneficial for the area. It's going to be very detrimental for the area and and future people who might want to see it if everyone were to interact in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But But at the same time, going, you know, in the middle of the woods in a national forest off trail where no one else is, uh, you know, that's a little different in my mind. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Well, um, pretty much very, very similar to what, what you just referred to. If you're in a high, a high use area, like a campground in a national park, where there's um, literally a couple hundred people every night, week after week, year after year, then obviously you don't want to to be changing the natural environment there. So I'm referring more to uh, going far off trail in pretty remote areas. And um, um, and it's not, you know, just mindlessly chopping down a tree because I want a campfire, but it might just be, you know, burning some pine cones and needles and, and, and a few dead branches. Um, and ideally when, uh, when I'm done with a place, whether it's camping, uh, or even harvesting, why there's ways to do it, um, where you can't tell that someone was just there. Right. So in a way I'm leaving no trace, but I'm doing it really just, it's just one of me or just a few of us. Uh, and, and it's places where there's no sign of anyone else being there, um, for a long, long time. So, um, yeah, you, you can interact with nature without destroying it. Right. It's not an absolute either or proposition. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's where, um, you know, having a mentor and someone to go out with, if you don't understand how to do that in a certain way is a really great way to learn how to interact with the land, um, and also respect it and be a caretaker of it while being able to, you know, harvest from it if it's appropriate and, and use things from it. And so that's great. Thank you for sharing that. So tell us about your personal relationship with the plants. I, I imagine over the years you've um, developed a very personal connection. Yeah. And it's uh, it's an ongoing developing relationship. Um, and just like some people are really good at identifying birds and they can, they can tell you the name of the bird just by listening to the, the, the song, the bird song. Uh, there are people who are really good at naming plants, much better than me. And, um, but they've never tasted it. They've never picked it. They've never grown it. Um, they've never made it into a tea. They've never actually even felt it, whether the leaves are fuzzy or whether there's a mucilage in the leaf or... And so again, there's that lack of interaction for, for some people. Um, and so for me, it's always just been wanting to connect and interact with the plant world. And it wasn't something that I, I tried to feel a connection. It just it was a deep felt connection even from when I was quite young. Um, and so uh, my personal relationship with plants, if I'm in a, in a location, um, whether it's the desert or the mountains or the mesa, a canyons, etc., if I know the plant life around me, I really feel connected to that place. And sometimes I will pick some leaves and just nibble on a few leaves of a certain plant that I know. 
Um, it's not done at random. It's a plant that I know. Right. And I'm just nibbling because it helps connect me to that place. It might be uh, conifer needles if I'm in the forest, or it might be Larea leaves if I'm down in the Sonoran Desert. Mm. Just a few that I'm just nibbling on. And I've noticed that, you know, in the Southwest, most of the environments I can I can travel through and spend time in, in different environments, different elevations, and know most of the plants and, and feel connected to most of them. But if you put me, say, in New Hampshire or Florida <laughs> you know, or, or Hawaii, right. and, and I've been in these places that were far away from the Southwest and I didn't know more than like maybe a palm tree or a maple tree or something like that. And I really felt just lost out in mm. nature. And I, they were just objects. There was no relationship. Mm. Um, you didn't so, have your friends all around you all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not always so aware of it because it just is in the Southwest. Mm. But you put me, you know, again, in some far away location that where I, I don't have those relationships with the plants and it's just like wow um mm. just a bunch of green stuff you know <laughs> interesting and, uh, one thing that that has hit home for me is is uh thinking about the native peoples and in north america and how connected they were and are to their immediate environment whether it was for hunting or fishing or foraging or agriculture, or collecting plants for ceremony and medicine, etc. And then with the reservation system, they often were forced to leave uh, their traditional home homeland and travel, whether it was hundreds or sometimes a thousand miles away, and stuck in a totally foreign environment. Mm -hmm. And aside from the trauma of that, of of of, of being. Uh, you know, the violence and being forced right. to have your home destroyed. But, the, you know, for a culture that, that interacts with nature and depends on the natural knowledge and to be put in a new environment all of a sudden, I think that that's a level of trauma that isn't always acknowledged, at least not not in the reading that I've done. I mean, right. I'm scared you talk to people individually. So that's just something else that, that I've, I've thought about over the years. Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, having a connection to place, uh, you begin to identify with it. You know, when you when you begin to, when one begins to take in the beings from the area they're in, they really become part of that place. And like you said, when an entire culture is rooted in a place, and you know their entire livelihood is based on utilizing the natural resources around them in the form of these plants and animals and whatnot. And then, you know, that's taken away. I can imagine it's a, it would be a real sense of loss of identity in a lot of ways and uh, very traumatic. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, so you promote uh, what you call community herbalism. Can you explain to us what that is? Well, there's a lot of different ways to um, to practice being an herbalist or to practice herbalism, and I think ultimately it's what you feel called to do. But for me, um, community herbalism is that I want to to serve my community and to provide the knowledge, the training, the plants, the medicine for my community. 
But aside from me just providing products, it's really important that I want to empower people uh, in my community so that they can go out and make their own teas and their own extracts and their own cough syrups and things like that. And I'd much rather do that than just make it myself and sell it to people. Um, and so, uh, you know, what is, what is one's community? Uh, I think your first community would be your family. It could be your neighborhood. It could be your, your work, your, your, your coworkers. It could be your religious group. It could be your cultural group. It could be um, the geographic, you know, the town that you live in. You know, there's a lot of different levels and, and different ways that communities are expressed. And so for some people, their religious community is their main community. And for others, it might be more of a cultural community, especially if you're a cultural minority. Um, and so again, you know, how you you define community is really up to you, but um, it's, it's like the people that you interact with and that you have these meaningful interactions with. Um, and so those are the people that I want to empower uh, so that they can take responsibility for their health. Um, and uh, yeah, so I use the word empower a lot uh, when learning about health and herbal medicine. Yeah, that's when you know you have a good teacher when it's, all about empowering the other, the student. And, uh, that's awesome. That's great. And, and I can really attest to, uh, that aspect of being empowered. Um, as I was kind of coming up in my personal herbal journey, you know, I started to get to know a lot of the plants in my area and kind of tinker here and there, but I personally, I had a lot of, uh, inhibitions about moving forward because I, really kind of didn't know exactly how to do that. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I was fortunate enough to, uh, take a class with Mike. It was a, a multi-day class where not only did we go out and meet the plants, but, uh, he was gracious enough to bring the class in his home and show us how to, uh, utilize them, how to prepare, make herbal preparations to use. And, uh, to this day, I carry some of those in my pocket every day, everywhere I go. I, oh, you know, I, yeah, I'm using or, you know, nourishing herbal infusions throughout the week. I, you know, so for me personally, having that one-on-one -on -one mentorship definitely really empowered me. And now, um, you know, I have our own little cabinet apothecary full of herbs that we use daily and that my family knows and my kids, whenever they have a cut or scrape, they come to me for pinion salve that they know is in my pocket all the time and so it's you know that that community herbalism component is uh super important and uh really grateful for that mike and that that you're continuing to spread that and uh and it's a great great principle yeah and and i, I want to stress that for some people they want to open an herb store and mm -hmm. uh get into the retail end some people, I know people who are growing medicinal herbs, they're into the gardening end. Some people um, are more into the clinical and they, they are practicing like a naturopathic doctor. Uh, some people are more into writing books um, or, or researching the plant chemistry, things like that. And all those are valid. Um, yeah. And it's like each of us has our, our own path not just in life, but also as an herbalist. And so um, this is the path that's uh, calls to me and that I feel very at home. Uh, yeah. So, 
and we need all of them. Yeah, all definitely. those avenues. <laughs> we all work together and share our gifts and, you know, whatever way makes sense to us. So that's great. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing that I've, I've heard a lot when it comes to herbal medicine and, and even that I've experienced, um, especially more early in my understanding of it is, you know, some people say that they've tried herbs, they've tried herbal, herbal medicine, and it's been ineffective for, ineffective for them. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on how one should approach herbal medicine to gain the most benefits and why it's different from kind of our standard Western approach with allopathic medicine? Well, I think that a lot of times when we hear the word medicine, whether it's pharmaceutical medicine or herbal medicine, that at least in the United States, we, we most of us grew up in this cultural environment where we looked at health as coming from a pill. And so if you have a headache, you take a pill. If you can't sleep, you take a pill. If you um, have an infection, you take a pill. And, and so we, we kind of have this magic pill syndrome in our culture. And then uh, some people, for a variety of reasons, they want to get away from those little pills. Maybe it's cost, access, or side effects, or uh, whatever. Um, and so they go, they, they go to herbal medicine, but their mindset is the same, where they're still looking at little pills. And so herbs to them are just little green pills instead of the, the blue or yellow or red pills from the pharmaceutical world. Um, and I think, and that's her, herbal medicine is very limited when it's used in that way. Um, so what you really need to do is to try to look at well, whatever your health issue is, what has caused it, you know, why is there an imbalance? Um, and so one of the things that I stress, uh, whether it's uh, working as a, a clinical herbalist or in my community herbalism classes, is that you always need to look at diet and lifestyle and the stress level and sleep quality along with using herbs. And sometimes all you need to do is change the diet. You don't need herbs. Or all you need to do is... Um, uh, quit watching TV until midnight <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you can sleep well. You don't, may not need herbs for better sleep. Right. Uh, or if you can improve the sleep quality or quantity, um, why uh, it's amazing how much better people feel in an overall general way if they can improve their sleep. And so uh, herbs are part of the whole picture, but they're not the be-all and end-all. And I say that as an herbalist that loves working with plants. <laughs> right. I, I have to be upfront with myself and with others is that um, if somebody has a migraine, uh, if they suffer from, from regular migraines, probably they need, you know, it's not because there's an herbal deficiency in their life. It might be, uh, you know, structural. They might need a chiropractor. They, they, it might be their their job or, or a certain food that they shouldn't be eating, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you try to really do this investigation and get to what the cause is. Mm -hmm. And then you provide support to the person to help uh, change the cause, you know, stop it or alter it in some way. So I think the main thing is to look at herbs as an important part of the whole picture, but herbs by themselves aren't really meant to to fix you or make you, you know, make you healthy. They, they kind of support the body and returning to health. 
Yeah. And I like that last part you just said, and that's been, been my experience and understanding. And, you know, something I learned from you during that class is this idea of the way that we approach the herbs. And, and I think a lot, a big part of that culture that we have is, um, we don't often want to engage in lifestyle change behaviors because we're comfortable where we're at <laughs> and that's difficult. And we, it would be nice to just have a pill that we could take and it would fix everything. But, um, but I like what you said about herbs supporting the body. And I, and I feel that's a lot of the difference sometimes between allopathic medicine and herbal medicine is allopathic medicine and, and those kinds of drugs tend to manipulate and alter the body in certain ways to bring out a desired effect, but often with some um, side effects that are not uh, wanted. Whereas herbs tend to be more of a holistic support for the natural functions that the body is already engaged in. And, and they're, they're kind of like props to kind of like keep things, you know, going in a, in a good manner as we continue the lifestyle changes to uh, try to uh, overcome whatever illness it is that we have. And so I appreciate it, yeah. really appreciated learning that principle from you. And it's been, uh, it's been really, um, good in my life to have that understanding that, Hey, if I have a headache, um, you know, the first place to go might not be the medicine cabin. It, it might be, uh, you know, the water tap to drink some more water and then to lie down for a little bit because, that's what my body's trying to tell me to do. <laughs> Get some water in you and rest a bit. <laughs> but uh, One thing that I've noticed is uh, there's been a bit of an herbal renaissance in this country that started right. either late 60s or 1970-ish hmm. and uh, with the baby boomers. And um, as in, in some people who are trying to, to uh, make herbs a valid as a, as a form of healthcare, they're, they're really trying to look at the plant chemistry and trying to find the chemistry or one individual constituent of a plant that is equivalent to a pharmaceutical drug mm. and trying to uh, validate herbal medicine that way. And there are certain chemicals and in, in some herbs that are very strong. And sometimes these are called uh, phytoceutical uh, or where they, they have, they're concentrating certain chemistry from, from a plant. Um, but that's not really the traditional way that, that, that humans have used herbal medicine. That's more of a reaction to our current, um, our current healthcare system and our current cultural situation right now. So, yeah, that's an interesting, uh, scenario that we're in. And it's funny because I remember you hear, I remember uh, you talking about it previously where, you know, in other countries, especially the Eastern countries where there's a long established tradition of, you know, traditional uh, herbal medicine, uh, they don't have that kind of thing. They're, people just, you know, accept that this is the medicine. There, there isn't this drive to feel like they have to validate it in any way. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? And, and you've had some experience in, in the East and in Asia and that. Uh, learning and, and apprenticing under people. Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. I remember um, I spent some time in, in China and I was fortunate enough to meet a, an acupuncturist and a, a doctor of Chinese medicine and spend some time um, visiting the hospital where she worked. And, you, and I was amazed that you walked into the front door and they had one wing was 
pharmaceutical medicine and surgery, and the other wing was acupuncture and herbs, all in the same hospital. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in that particular case, there was no competition or tension between the two. You would be seen by a doctor or, or a team of doctors, and they would decide which was more appropriate. And I thought that was really... uh, Just makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And um, the other thing is that uh, in some places like in India or in Asia and in China um, and even in the United States, there there are are, uh, some communities where people grow up and herbal medicine is part of their culture. And so you, you ask like what they, you know, how they learned about a certain plant and they'll say, well... My grandmother, I used to go out into the forest with my grandmother when I was three or four years old, and I would, we would pick this together, and then we'd go home and make a tea out of it. Uh, or I'd learn it from my uncle, and, and you know, we would go out a certain time of the year, and we'd dig up these roots, and he, and he would show me where to look for them and, and how to dig them up and, and then how to prepare it. And so that kind that way of learning herbal medicine is what i call like multi-generational knowledge and it's a part of your culture and you just you're absorbing it as you grow up you don't like all of a sudden like like i did and 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 so many people in modern day america at some point when we're adults we say i want to study herbal medicine and so i started you know i was well into my adult years when i started and of course, I started by reading books. You know, I didn't go to my uncle or my grandmother. And then you go to, to school. Um, but when you go to these cultures, whether in this country or elsewhere, that are um, where the herbal medicine is like, again, part of the cultural context, the bigger picture, why it's just something that, that they have always done. And I think in some ways, you know, you, you, it's, it's in your blood, it's in your DNA. It's just something that you've absorbed over the years. Right. It, isn't, it isn't just in your head from a book that you read, but it's like really a part of your whole life. Hmm. It's a, a deeper understanding, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it would be nice if, if we had those traditions more uh, intact in the Western world here. I know there's many indigenous cultures that still have some uh, stronger multi-generational traditions like that, but even that seems to be waning, unfortunately. Um, and I, I really like what you said about what, you know, with your experience over there with the two different parts of the hospital, but it they worked as a team, you know, and I, I feel like uh, this kind of dichotomy that we have here, we're like, herbalism versus allopathic and it doesn't have to be like that because you know when I if I break my arm and tear some tendons I'm going to go to the emergency room and if I need surgery I'm going to have surgery and allopathic is, medicine is great for that we have advanced so uh, in, in such an amazing way in our understanding of um, the human body and how to deal with things of that nature in an acute way and I feel that allopathic medicine is definitely uh the way to go for acute conditions most of the time but it seems fairly poor in my estimation for chronic conditions where lifestyle change is more uh what's needed and so i think that there there could be this wonderful synergy uh between the use of these different healing modalities and really that's all it is healing is healing no matter how you use it or what what method you use and uh, it would just be very neat 
to see this coming together more. And I am starting to see more like naturopath clinics and things like that pop up. And so I think that uh, that renaissance that you were talking about is is continuing. And hopefully these these worlds will kind of meld a little more as we continue to go forward. Yeah, and 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 there there are more and more uh, medical doctor herbalists, people who are building bridges between the two. Yeah, that's wonderful. And uh, sometimes they start out as MDs, and then they 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 move towards the herbal medicine, and then other people start out as a midwife and herbalist. Uh, um, and then they 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 go to medical school in their forties um, mm. and MD, but they that's a wonderful blend. Yeah, and some of my mentors um, are in that category, and I've learned a tremendous amount from them. So that's awesome. Very good. Well, kind of going back to the kind of the community herbalism part of it, um, you know, for a lot of people, and like I was talking about before, until I came to your class, it was a very daunting prospect for me to get into herbs because I just didn't know where to start. Uh, so, you know, so for people who, who are interested in, you know, maybe starting to incorporate uh, more herbal remedies into their lives, what would you recommend? Um, what, what would you recommend they do to kind of get started on that journey? And then uh, maybe even what kind of herbs do you think are good for people to start working with? Well, um, yeah, there's a lot of people, including me. I mean, I was overwhelmed at one point and, uh, you can, you know, I, I, I started studying herbal medicine, um, deeply before we had the internet. And so the main venue that was available was, was books. Uh, and then I did go to some, to formal training, but that was still before the internet. And, um, uh, and now with the internet, there certainly is no shortage of information. So the quantity of information is endless. Right. Um, but the, the quality of information really is, is, is a, a huge question mark. And then it's how do you organize the information? Even if you have the amount and the quality, how do you organize it? Um, and and uh, so there's different kinds of, of ways, to, you know, different ways to approach herbal information. Um, so what, what I encourage people to do is to learn the herbs for your personal health issues. Mm. And if you really listen to people and, and, and talk to them about, you know, where it is that they tend to go out of balance or where we all have, we all have a weak link in our chain, in our chain of health. Um, most people, when we get sick, or even if we're not actually sick with the disease, we're, we're somehow out of balance. And even di- disease is dis-ease, I mean like you know, we're not moving through life in a, in a, with ease and, mm. and flow. There's some speed bump there. Right. Um, and most of the time, uh, for an individual, those imbalances and diseases are going to be predictable and repeatable, mm. meaning that some people, when they get a cold, they always get a sinus infection. Some people, they get the, another individual gets a cold and it always becomes strep throat. A third person, they get a cold and it's all, you, you can predict it almost. It's going to be bronchitis. It becomes bronchitis. Um, and so uh, someone else, every time they travel away from their home, they get a bladder infection mm-hmm. or um, on a, a, you know, a certain season why they, their, their joints start to bother them. So that's what I mean by predictable and repeatable right, patterns. So 
any individual person, I'm going to say, you know, this is about, there's a, there's a core group of about 10 herbs that an individual could learn and, and connect with and use that would really help them uh, with, and again, when we talk, I mean, chronic disease is more of a medical term, but just to help be in balance in life. And when I right. think about herbs that I use personally, it's, you know, there's about, I'm going to know more than 10 herbs that I use on a regular basis. And of course, as an herbalist, I want to know more than that. Uh, but that's really where I encourage people to start. And if you have a migraine, and if you suffer from migraines uh, chronically, you're going to be really motivated to, to find a way to, to reduce them, either in duration or severity or frequency. Right. Um, and, and so that's different than some, some um, you know, rare exotic disease that you read about in, the book, in a book that you've never, never experienced for yourself. Right. So that idea of that personal health issue, um, people are very motivated. And then I always say branch out from there. You know, once, once you, you, you get a handle on maybe, like, let's just say, 10 herbs that are helpful on a personal level, um, if you want to continue down that herbal path, why you have to understand that this is a lifelong journey and that it's a system of healthcare. It isn't just reading one book or going to a weekend class. Um, and so if you're studying a system of healthcare, you need to invest time and energy, and at least for me, it's a lifelong it's a lifelong journey, and I'm forever a student. And at most, I'd say, all of the good herbalists that I know, we always consider ourselves students as much as we are any kind of a teacher or or a clinical herbalist. Um, and partly, it's just learning plants, and partly, it's learning about how to apply the plants in a healthcare system. Um, and so you will never run out of uh, possibilities for learning in, when you study herbal medicine. Very good. Cool. So, you know, we kind of covered more about what people can do to start learning how to use herbs. And that's a huge component. But then kind of going back to what you were talking about and what you like to do um, is learn about the herbs that are in the bioregion of where someone lives because there's medicine all around us almost all the time. It's just learning what is, what it is, you know, learning, you know, starting to build relationships with those plants, learning what it's good for and starting to incorporate that. So how can one go about kind of starting down that path on, on that journey of, of learning about the herbs in their bioregion and, and some, some, maybe some general tips for some ethical wild harvesting of those herbs. Okay. Well, I really like the word bioregion and bioregional. And just like as an herbalist, I want to uh, be of service and interact with my community. And these are the people that I'm around. Uh, but then from the plant perspective, um, that's, you know, my bioregion is like my plant community. And, and so um, what I, for me personally, I, I really try to get to know the plants within a 50 mile radius of where I live. And an example is um, I'm at 7,000 feet in Flagstaff, and within a 50-mile radius, I'm down to 3,500 feet in the Verde Valley along the Verde River, which is just a little bit above the Sonoran Desert uh, elevation. And then I can also go up to almost 13,000 feet in the mountain outside of Flagstaff. 
So I'm between say 3,500 and, and 12,500. Um, that's a, a 9,000 foot range. That's amazing. And then that also includes Oak Creek Canyon, which is one of the lushest areas, the riparian areas that I, that I've been to in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and so there's this tremendous variety, whether it's dug fir, aspen kind of forest, whether it's a ponderosa, whether it's juniper, whether you're down in the in the in the Larea, the mesquite, and and so within a 50 mile zone, there's an incredible amount of wild food and medicine. Um, and 50 miles, these are this is like my my neighborhood, you know, my community. It's area, it's places where I go frequently. But for some people, and, and this isn't meant as a joke, for some people it might be a 50-foot or 50-yard radius from where they live. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of times, and I do a plant walk for the, for the community in general, and we talk some about weeds. And um, many, many times I've gotten an email a few days later saying, oh, you know, those wild greens you showed us. I went in our backyard when I got home and they were all over my backyard. I never knew. (laughs) That's wonderful. 50 feet or 50 yards. And, you know, first learn your backyard and your front yard and, and, and things like that. And so somewhere between a 50 foot radius and a 50 mile radius, um, is really what I would call bioregional. Um, and, uh, I think that's a really good place to start. And again, now, if where you live is, is very flat, maybe uh, there's not much difference between a mile or 50 miles. But in a place like the southwest where we have very dramatic elevation changes and the, the topography is so varied, boy, 50 miles is like three or four different worlds. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, the beauty of living uh, in the southwest. Hmm. Very good. Um, so what what are some resources that people might use to to learn those plants, you know? Well, I think there's no substitute for hands-on direct experiential learning like that. Yeah. There's um of course there's tons of websites and there's tons of YouTube videos and there's tons of books, but at the same time I think what you need to do is to seek out someone in your community who's offering plant walks. And it might be an herbalist. Um, there are native plant societies uh, all over the country. And that is, uh, and, and I mean that in a formal way, the, the Arizona Native Plant Society, the Colorado Native Plant Society. And then they have um, smaller branches, and we have one in Flagstaff and, and other places. Uh, they do a plant walk usually once, one, one, uh, once a month. You can connect with uh, an arboretum or a nature center or uh, a a university or community college. Uh, There's lots and lots of these venues where someone is offering uh, a walk and, and, you know, you get someone with the experience and it's not looking at a picture, but you can actually touch the leaf or smell it. Or if it's safe, you can nibble on it Uh, or, um, you know, it's, um, it's that kind of direct experiential learning that's really essential. Uh, there's lots of books, and, and wherever you're at, I would encourage you to try to get a book for your your region, whether it's a state or a county or a, 
um, a, a topographical feature like the Colorado Plateau or something like that. Um, and those books are really good as references just to double check, you know, after you've done the field study, they, 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 they go together. But I, I don't think there's really a substitute for actually being out on the land and doing it. And I always, I always uh, relate it to swimming. If you want to learn how to swim, you can't just watch a video. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't just read a book about swimming and then call yourself a swimmer. You've got to get your, your feet wet at some point. In the same way with using plants is you have to you know, be out and, and actually physically interacting with the plants. Right. Very good. Awesome. And Mike, what are two or more books that you might recommend for our listeners? Um, well, uh, I think a local field guide is going to be really, really helpful. Hmm. And we are 50 years into what I call the herbal renaissance in this country. And so there are new titles being uh, printed all the time, being authored all the time. And by what I mean by regional is uh, there's uh, some famous academic books like uh, Medicinal Plants in North America. And it's about, you know, as thick as a, a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of book, it's, it certainly is uh, an impressive accumulation of knowledge, but that's not what I'm going to go to when I want to see what's grown in my backyard. Right. So I would look for you know, plants of the Colorado Plateau, because that's where I live, or plants of Arizona, or plants of the Southwest, you know, and and the more specific, the better. Um, And so just saying plants of North America, or even plants of Arizona, because we have so much diversity, Mm. is less helpful. But something like, um, and and I'm going to talk about Michael Moore, who is a uh, a very, you know, respected and treasured elder who has passed on, but he has uh, a series of books, and and one of his books is uh, Medicinal Plants of the Mountain West. Mm. And so, when I'm in the mountains, whether it's Colorado or Montana or even the mountains outside of Flagstaff, there's a similarity in the flora, and and I can refer to his book. And then he also has another book on deserts and canyons of, 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 the, of the West. Mm-hmm. And, and so again, whether you're in Utah or the Sonoran Desert or the Mojave, why there's enough similarity that they tend to go together. So um, for, the, for the, anywhere west of Denver in, in the United States, I think Michael Moore is, a, is an outstanding resource um, for the field guides. And then if you really want to get a book on like, well, what's a good tea for sore throat or what's a tea for, um, you know, uh, uh, a cold or the flu or just kind of like your general uh, getting started in herbs. I would say any book by Rosemary Gladstar. And all you have to do is Google her name. She has a website and she's on, on the, a lot of the, the book selling websites. Um, but she has several books and just by the title, uh, you'll be able to tell which book uh, is appropriate for you. But she's a really good one. Like for Her- Herbalism 101, Rosemary Gladstar is a really good book to start with. So, Very good. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I'll have links to those on uh, the show notes so people can find those books and uh, that'll be great. And I, I'll echo those. I have all of Michael Moore's books and quite a few <laughs> Rosemary Gladstar's and they've been 
imperative <laughs> as I continue on my journey. So, yeah, uh, and I really want to emphasize that I'm talking more about Arizona because that's that's, right. that's my turf. But wherever you're at, if you uh, do some research within your community, you probably will be amazed at some author. It might be a, a local university professor. It might be uh, someone who works at your botanical gardens or your arboretum, and they put together uh, a list or uh, some some kind of publication, whether it's online or whether it's an actual published book hmm. uh, for your area. And those can be extremely helpful. Uh, and I certainly depended and benefited from that approach greatly over the years when I go, when I moved to a new area. So. Wonderful. Awesome. And Mike, from, uh, you know, with your experience and connection with the natural world, what's some advice that you can give our listeners as to something that they can do to reconnect with the natural world, maybe daily? Well, um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is just, is to spend time outside. And again, there's a lot of um, environmental study or outdoor education going on at all grade levels and even at the university level. Sometimes these are more just studying the rainforest from a book. Uh, uh, And that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, you don't have to do it in an academic way, but just get outside and don't have and don't and, and not be too forced or too scheduled, but do it mindfully. Like when mm. you go out, put your hand on the tree bark, <laughs> smell <laughs> the tree bark, yes. uh, get out a magnifying glass and look closely and see, you know, what kind of animal life is crawling around in that tree bark. Um, if there's resin, you know, go ahead, get your finger sticky and touch the resin and smell <laughs> Yes. Uh, and so you want to feel nature, you want to smell it, you want to listen to it, whether it's the birds or the wind through the branches, uh, you want to look. And the tasting can come later. Um, you know, there's safety issues with tasting. Right, uh, right. You can learn a lot just by using the other four senses. Um, and uh, I, I still do that myself. And, and it's places that I've been to many times and I still learn something new every time I go out and I just feel a deeper connection to it each time I do that. Awesome. And one little, uh, tip and trick that I'll pass along that I learned from Mike is if, if, if you're, if you're anywhere near, probably mostly it's going to be in the West, but if you've got ponderosa pines anywhere around you, find a ponderosa pine, go up to the bark, and stick your nose in the furrow and just take the biggest whiff you ever have. And it's heavenly. <laughs> so that's a, uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> Every time I come to my first Ponderosa after it's been a while, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, that's perfect. That's a, a, a great way to connect to nature. Doesn't right. cost anything. You don't need to carry books along. You don't need the internet connection. It's just that, that direct interaction with, with nature. It's like if I'm down in the Sonoran Desert, which isn't really my home turf, um, I love to nibble on Lorea leaves. Mm. Uh, just a few. They're very strongly flavored, and the, the taste lingers, but I, then I have that deeper connection to the desert. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for that, Mike. And how can people further connect with you and the work that you're doing in the world? Well, my, my website is called theforagerspath.com. Uh, theforagerspath.com. And uh, I'm also pretty active on Facebook. And 
just to let people know there's a very active herbal community on Facebook and I'm sure there's more than one, but, um, awesome. There's, I know there's, uh, uh, people often are unsure of the quality of information uh, that you're getting off the internet in a lot of areas. But, uh, if you really pick and choose wisely on Facebook, why you can connect with some very dependable research sources and experienced herbalist. And there's great conversations going on. It isn't just posting some recipe that you, that you, right. read about, you know, and there's really good conversations um, from experienced herbalists going back and forth. So absolutely. Um, I think those are the two best ways to contact me. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll have that information in the show notes as well. So thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and skills. And you're a great man. I appreciate the work you're doing in the world and coming on and sharing that with us and with the listeners here. Well, thanks Ron. It's always good to spend some time with you and to, and to connect and, uh, and you, uh, I, I love talking about this topic. So thanks for giving me the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you again, my dear listeners, for joining us for this episode. I really hope you got as much as you possibly can from Mike. He's got a lot of wisdom to share. And on that note, uh, please go check out his website, theforgerspath.com, and uh, his Facebook page. You'll find the links to that and all the other stuff we talked about, including the books and everything on the show notes, as always. Um, Mike's had some really cool Zoom offerings lately, uh, some free and, and others that are paid and, and well worth every penny. Uh, Mike is uh, really great at taking these uh, seemingly difficult concepts of herbalism and condensing them down into very usable uh, nuggets of knowledge and wisdom that we can use to apply herbs to our everyday lives. And uh, yeah, so please go check him out and uh, patronize his stuff. And as always, feel free to leave reviews for us uh, wherever it is you find this. We're all over the place. We're on Apple and Stitcher and Spotify and Google Podcasts and all that kind of stuff. So please uh, go check us out and leave reviews wherever it is you're accessing this. Um, please share with friends. If you enjoyed this episode, please pass it along in whatever way makes sense to you. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're out there. Please check us out. Please give us reviews. And uh, feel free to send me a message whenever, uh, in whatever way that, that you feel best. You can do that on Instagram, on Facebook, or you can send it to my email address to ron at coyotespath.com. Uh, you're the ones that make this possible. Really appreciate you. And I uh, hope you keep tuning in and hope you're getting a lot out of these episodes. I know I'm getting a lot out of uh, creating and putting them out there. And uh, I don't plan on going away anytime soon and have some fun stuff planned for the very near and distant future. So uh, stay tuned to what we're doing and we'll see you in the next episode. Happy trails.